listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Momentum is not an accident. It is the result of a clear, compelling vision and dedicated devotees. That's what momentum is. Momentum is the byproduct. It's the offspring, so to speak. When vision and dedication got married, they gave birth to momentum. That's what momentum is. Now, momentum, just because you have momentum does not mean you're going to continue in momentum. Momentum is something that must be nurtured. It must be fostered. It must be encouraged. Because if you don't do that intentionally, if you don't intentionally keep yourself moving in the right direction, the tendency is you're going to fall back into the wrong direction. Now, momentum is important in the business world. It's important in your business that you have forward momentum. Momentum is important in your marriage. It's important that you have forward momentum, that your marriage is progressing and moving forward. Momentum is important in any area of life. It's especially important in ministry. Momentum, positive momentum. Now, the ultimate, perfect, flawless, excellent example of momentum is Jesus, the life of Jesus. He demonstrates what it is to have clear, compelling vision. He demonstrates what it is to have unwavering, unadulterated devotion. And he shows us what momentum looks like in the life of a person who has vision and dedication. By this time, by the time we get to Luke chapter 5, verse 33, we see that Jesus has very clearly demonstrated for us. He's shown us his vision, referencing Isaiah chapter 61. And we go to Luke chapter 4, verse 18, where he quotes, He references Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He references Isaiah chapter 61 when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus began by saying, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus demonstrates a clear, compelling vision. Jesus demonstrates that He gets to that vision, the fulfillment of that vision very quickly, very seriously. When many people are brought to Jesus and Jesus is healing many people. On top of that, they're bringing to him people who had demons, people who were demonized. And Jesus is casting out the demons of all of these people. Many people are being set free from demonic oppression. Many people being set free from illness, physical, psychological, mental illness. People are being set free by the ministry of Jesus. On top of that, Jesus is preaching. He's going into the synagogues all over the place and he's preaching. And not only is he preaching, but he's also demonstrating intimacy with his father. His preaching is an overflow of his prayer life. We see that Jesus is preaching and he is praying. And there's no daylight between the father and the son, Jesus. Jesus is ministering out of the overflow. He's preaching as a result of his intimacy with his father, his abiding closeness through prayer. And on top of that, we see that Jesus is calling disciples. He's called Peter. He's called Andrew, Peter's brother. He's called James and John, the brothers. He's called a tax collector, called Levi. And on top of that, we see that Jesus is surrounding himself with the outcasts of society, the pimps, 
the prostitutes, as we'll see elsewhere in Scripture, the tax collectors, those who other people in society would look at and want nothing to do with, Jesus is surrounding himself, placing himself in the center of all these people's lives, and they're following him. The only problem with being followed is that eventually somebody's going to oppose you. That's what happens. The more God is at work in your life with momentum, using you, filling you, sending you with his agenda, his vision, his mission, the more you're involved with the momentum of God, the more God is using you and expanding the ability of you to influence other people for his glory. The more that happens in your life, the more you become a magnet. Momentum is a magnet for opposition. Look with me in Luke chapter 5, verse 33. Luke chapter 5, verse 33. And they said to him, this is probably the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and the scribes. Now they're in full swing of opposition to Jesus. They said to him, the disciples of John fast and offer, fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will wear, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires the new, for he says the old is good or the old is better. Jesus is now fully engaged in his ministry. He's been preaching, he's been healing, he's been teaching people, people are following him, and it's just a matter of time the magnet that Jesus is, that he's going to attract opposition. And the opposition comes from one of the most unlikely sources. If we're reading the Bible, it would be unlikely because you would think that the people who are supposed to be spiritual, the people who have a knowledge of God, the people who understand the Old Testament, they would be the ones who would be following Jesus hook, line, and sinker. But instead, those people, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the ones who were responsible with teaching the nation of Israel, instead of embracing Jesus, they're opposing Jesus. What is wrong with these people? What is wrong with the Pharisees? What is wrong with the teachers of the law, the scribes? They're the ones who have been given the word of God. They're the ones who have dedicated their whole lives, the equivalent of a PhD after each of their names. They had dedicated their lives to the Old Testament, dedicated their lives to the ministry. Imagine that. They've dedicated their entire lives, their their livelihood, they made their bread and butter from the ministry. Jesus comes on the scene, the uniquely brought forth Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of Man, the one who's prophesied about, spoken of about in the Old Testament, the one that the Pharisees should know about, the, the, the teachers of the law, they should know about him. They should be able to recognize him. Jesus comes on the scene, and instead of them embracing Jesus, they oppose Jesus. And this teaches us very clearly that when you are led by the Lord, when you are led by God, when God is using you in a monumental way where momentum is going forward, you only can have the certainty as well 
that you are a magnet and you will be opposed. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of how and when. A number of years ago, when God was in the process of working in my life, and I was with my friend Greg, who was a Goomba in ministry, we would say, a buddy of mine in ministry. We were at my place on Leonard Street in Portland, Oregon. And it was late at night. We had been discussing spiritual things in the scriptures and processing what God was doing in our lives and how God was taking us deeper in our surrender to him, deeper in our walk with him. Neither of us was married. We were at my house and we were reading the scriptures and God was leading us to a time of prayer. It was one of those times where the most appropriate thing to do would be to pray and to respond to what God was saying to us and what he was doing in our lives and what we were talking about. So we were on our hands and knees praying with these articles laid out before us of historical accounts of revival. Yes, I spent a lot of time studying revival history until one day God hit me up on the side of the head, figuratively speaking, but spiritually, literally speaking, and showed me that I could end up being a person who's an expert in what God has done in other people's lives and missed him myself. That scared me. So with these historical accounts of revivals laid out in front of us, Greg and I are on our hands and knees and we're praying, oh Lord, do to us what we're reading about in these accounts. Change our lives that you would use our lives for your glory in ways that we can't even measure or estimate. Do that in our lives. And in the middle of us praying, oh God, the phone rang. It was midnight. And we were so engrossed in, in engaging in the Lord with, in our prayer time that I said to my friend Greg, I said, forget the phone. The answering machine will get it. Back in the day when we had answering machines. We continued our time of consecration and prayer. Powerful, mighty, significant time. Turning point in our lives. I totally forgot about the phone ringing. Totally forgot about checking my message. Went to seminary classes the next day when I was in seminary. Went to classes, forgetting all about it. Came home, back to Leonard Street. My light was blinking on the answering machine. I knew that I had messages. And at the very hour when my friend Greg and I were praying and consecrating ourselves to the Lord, this particular message dated at 12 midnight. The recorded message was somebody snarling and growling, six, 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 Satan rules. What a coincidence. What are the odds of that type of a message coming through my phone line by somebody who has no idea that I'm on my face before God doing serious business with him, with a friend of mine. We're both on our faces before God, confessing sin, asking God to purge us, to cleanse us, to purify us. And just by a coincidence, somebody randomly gets my phone number and decides, somebody who's demonized happens to get my phone number and call me up and is reading my mail, is observing what's happening in my house at that very moment. You think that's humanly possible for that type of a coincidence to happen? When you are caught up in a movement of God, when God is deeply at work, truly at work in your life, you better believe that the movement becomes a magnet. You will be opposed. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how. In other instance, I was involved in a prayer meeting. 
powerful, significant prayer meeting. People confessing sin, really getting serious about their walks with the Lord. I mean, it was the kind of a thing where I thought the door was going to open up in the building that we were in, and I was going to see Jesus himself come in. It was during that time we were singing songs, tears flowing, confessing sin. God was powerfully moving. We left that prayer meeting like one or two o'clock in the morning, and again, I was in my Toyota Corolla, beat up as it was. It was a five-speed on my way on the interstate back to my house that I was renting on Leonard Street in Portland, Oregon, in the St. John's area. And on my way at around one or two o'clock in the morning, it was late because God was moving in the prayer time. And when God moves, you have to either accommodate him or you shut him off. And we decided that we were going to accommodate him. So it was late. It was early in the morning now, one, two o'clock in the morning, and I'm on my way and in my car, and I feel something unusual off to the passenger side of my car. And as I looked to the passenger seat, my eyes went up, and there was a car parallel to me driving. And in that car, in the driver's seat, was a woman staring right at me as she was driving. I thought, it's dangerous to drive and to stare, let alone being impolite. Spider sense in me. Something deep inside told me something was deeply wrong. She was trying to get my attention, motioning to me. She wanted to rendezvous with me. What a coincidence that at one or two o'clock in the morning on the highway, randomly speaking, she would pick me In my Toyota Corolla, she certainly wasn't picking me because of the car I drove. And if she was, it told me about the kind of woman she was right there. Pedal to the metal, stepped on the gas, took off. She quickly followed by pulling behind me and following me. I could not go to my house right away on Leonard Street that night. I had to do a bunch of maneuvers to lose her knowing that if she then knew where I lived, I'd be in big trouble. And I lost her. What a strange coincidence that as I was enveloped in the movement of God, as God was doing a mighty work in my life, I was opposed. It's true in my life. It's true in the life of Jesus. It's true in the life of anybody who wants to follow Jesus. Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you? then you're a magnet for opposition. Here are the Pharisees, verse 33 of chapter 5. They said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. In other words, hey, can we talk to you for a minute about ministry, Jesus? Because we know a thing or two about ministry, and you don't seem to understand how it works. You see, when a man or a woman, boy or girl, whether it's John's disciples or our disciples, the Pharisees, when you're really dedicated to God, people know it because they see you praying, you tell them that you fast, you wear your spiritual heart on your sleeve. We're very well versed in that. It's obvious because we do our acts of righteousness before men. Where are the acts of righteousness of your disciples? They're not fasting. They're not praying. They're really not very spiritual. Oh, spiritual wonder. 
O son of man, O one who's claiming to be all of that and something more, one who's claiming to have the anointing of God, the fulfillment of God on his shoulders, the weight of the world on your shoulders. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. Don't you know a thing or two about spirituality? When you're spiritual, you tell people, they see that you pray, they know that you fast, and your disciples, hey, what gives? Maybe they're not very good disciples at all. See, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law were the ones with the PhDs after their names. But Jesus, what did he have? A bunch of blue-collar men calling Levi a tax collector, somebody who was an outcast. It's one thing. But the blue-collar guys, the fishermen, Peter and Andrew, on top of that, James and John, these are blue-collar workers, everyday commoners. They're not Pharisees. They don't have a master's degree in Bible or theological studies. They're certainly not Pharisees, not scribes, not teachers of the law. These are the guys that you picked? These are the guys that are a lot like me and you today? These are the guys that are in your ragtag camp of followers? What are you going to accomplish with those guys? They don't have the educational background that we have. See, Jesus, you need some people who have education to help you out. You need some people who are well-versed in the law, well-versed in the Word of God to be able to help you out. Now, while that might be true, Jesus understood the same thing that you and I should understand. All the knowledge of Scripture in the world is completely useless if it's not coupled with surrender. Jesus had in Andrew and Peter, Jesus had in James and John, Jesus had in Levi what he did not have and what he would never get from the Pharisees. Followers. Jesus had in these blue-collar men devotion. Devotion trumps education every single time. I cannot tell you the number of times I have met people with phenomenal Bible knowledge and yet they're Pharisaic all as well. See, in life, you will either be a Pharisee or a follower. That's what you're going to be. That's what you are right now. You are either a Pharisee or a follower. Jesus, this is now the third instance where he's being harassed by the Pharisees. In chapter 5, verse 17, on one of those days, as he was teaching, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, if you recall our time. And then Jesus pronounces publicly that this man's sins are forgiven. The man who was crippled, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are incredulous. They're, they're caught, what are you saying? What are you doing? Who do you think you are? Jesus calls Levi. The tax collector. And they say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners? It's the Pharisees, it's the teachers of the law, it's the scribes, it's the well-educated traditionalists, the, the men who are engaged in ministry, who are giving Jesus the hardest time. They're flies in Jesus' ointment. And here we're clearly given a contrast between people who embrace ministry versus people who will embrace a movement of the Spirit 
of God. There's a distinction. There's a world of difference between those of us who are married to the ministry, engaged in going through the ritualistic motions of the ministry, have our nose so closely to the books that we can't look up to see the people we're supposed to be reaching, not living missional lives, lives that are overflowing in service to the Lord where our sleeves are rolled up and we're engaged. We got our hands to the plow and helping Jesus. The ministry is hard work. It requires dedication as well as a clear vision. There's a clear contrast here in that the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they had the ministry of men. And they had the praise of men as well. And as Jesus is now getting more and more followers, people are following Jesus with greater crowds coming out and more notoriety of Jesus doing works that the Pharisees only dreamt of on their best days. Jesus' ministry with Jesus' disciples, as we're going to see, is going to eclipse the Pharisees on one great day on the day of Pentecost where Jesus has thousands of disciples seemingly instantaneously when the Holy Spirit falls on them. And here we see the Holy Spirit moving through Jesus in a movement that the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law never saw in their day. And what are they doing as Pharisees? They are nitpicking. They've seen miraculous healings. Right before their very eyes, they saw a man heal. That same man's sins were forgiven. Pronounced by Jesus, they're hearing the stories of the demons being cast out, the others being healed. They're hearing the teachings of Jesus, the preaching of, te- of Jesus. And what are they fixated on? Minutia, detail, details. You've heard it said that the devil is in the details. It's true here. They're critical of Jesus. When they should have been enamored with him, they should have been captivated by him. They should have been caught up in this movement of God. They finally had come to their midst, and instead, they're nitpicky. See, that's what Pharisees are. They're not only well-educated, they're nitpicky. How come you don't do this? Pharisee is somebody who sees Only the problems in ministry, only sees the problems in life. They cannot see the movement of the Spirit of God. That's what a Pharisee is. Somebody who has enough Bible under their belt, somebody who has enough knowledge of God under their belt academically, cognitively, but forgets where they came from, forgets who that knowledge came from, forgets what their life is to be about. And then when God shows up and starts to do a new thing, they long for the old thing. When God wants to do a new thing in your life, are you in a position to receive the new thing that God wants to do or are you reminiscing about the days gone by? If you find yourself wishing that God would do what he used to do in your life, that God would do what you used to experience in your ministry, in your walk, that God would bring you back to what used to happen in your life, it's a pretty good indication that you're no longer part of his movement. 
Because God never stops moving. He's always moving us forward. The Spirit of God is moving even now. Even now, the Spirit of God is speaking to you as you're listening to what I'm saying, as you're listening to what God is saying through me. The Spirit of God is working right now. He's speaking to you about an area of your life, areas of your life where He is trying to get your attention. He's trying to get your attention. He's getting your attention even now. And he wants to do a new work in your life. But if you are reminiscing about the old, if you're caught up in trying to get back to where you used to be, you'll never go to where God wants you to be. If you're nitpicky about the details and you're criticizing because of your lack that you see in your life, you see that God doesn't have this provided for, God has not taken care of that need or this situation, you'll never see what God, what, what God is doing, the doors that God is opening if you only look at the doors that are closed. Listen, when a door is closed, it's because God's got another door that he wants you to walk through. If you sit there and you focus on the closed doors all of your life or all the things that you can't do, you'll never do the thing that God has called you to do. You should thank God that he's closed more doors than he's opened. That's him funneling you, showing you, channeling you which door you should walk through. This is the way. Walk in it. You're either going to be a Pharisee who's a nitpicker, your education is going to get in the way, or you're going to be a follower that the things you're learning about God are going to funnel you intentionally through the door that he wants you to walk into for his glory, for his honor. You know, it's interesting here, the example that Jesus gives. He tells them a parable. Now, parables do not have multiple points. They have one main key point. And Jesus is always using the right opportunity at the right time to say the right word, to provide the right parable, to drive home maximum impact. Now, it's interesting what he pulls out of his bag of tricks, figuratively speaking. At this particular time when he's dealing with the Pharisees, he tells them this particular parable, verse 36. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires the new, for he says the old is good, or the old is better. If you find yourself reminiscing about the old days, wishing that you went back to what God used to do, it's a good indication that you've lost your momentum moving forward. Walking with God, the movement of God is not about going back. It's going into new territory for the glory of God. It's going deeper than you've ever gone before. It's soaring higher than you've ever before flown. That's what the movement of God is all about. And what Jesus is doing here with this particular passage is he's addressing the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, in a way that only Jesus can do. Masterfully, the master teacher is teaching masterfully because the Pharisees are coming and saying, can't we combine our ministries? By default, they're trying to influence Jesus by trying to get Jesus to their territory. Fast, pray, do what we do when Jesus is saying to them, do what I do. 
So you can have a ministry and have people following you all along, but a movement of God is where people follow you because you're following God, and that is a movement. You can have a movement of God and have ministry as a byproduct, ministry that God is pleased with. You can have a ministry to man and not be part of God's movement at all. There is a difference. And the Pharisees, by what they're saying... If Jesus wasn't on the ball, if Jesus wasn't intimate with his father, if Jesus didn't have a clear and compelling vision, Jesus could have been tempted. He was tempted throughout his life, really. A situation like this is a perfect example. Jesus could have been tempted to get off of his vision, off of his mission, combine the two ministries, the ministry of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the old wine, the old wineskins, combined it with his, and he would have been opening the Pandora's box the disunity. He would have never even found himself going to the cross. Would have been a complete compromise. And what Jesus is doing, he's slapping the Pharisees in the face, verbally speaking. This is a verbal slap in the face appropriately. Where Jesus is telling them, listen, the new wine is right here in your midst. The new wineskins, the way I'm doing ministry, the way I do ministry. If you take new wine and you put it in old wineskins, the new wine will ferment with the passing of time. It will stretch the wineskins. That's why you can't put something new into something old. This is why Jesus was not combining with the Pharisees. He was doing his ministry. He was teaching and preaching and moving forward. It was the Pharisees who were the old wineskins. It was the Pharisees who were the old wine. It was the Pharisees who were part of the root of Israel's problem. Having gotten them so close to the letter of the law, emphasizing so vehemently the teachings of the Scriptures, Worshiping the Old Testament to the point and the religious system that they had created on top of that, so much so to the point that when the Messiah himself arrives on the scene and the movement of God is clear, invigorating, the fire of God is now moving, instead of the Pharisees becoming followers, they're naysayers and nitpickers and critical, argumentative adversaries when they should have been advocates. And you know, in your life and in mine, it's really boiled down to this. You're either going to be caught up in the new wine of what God is doing, the movement of God, where you are accommodating the movement of, movement of God, or you're going to be opposed to him. You're either going to be a follower or a Pharisee. You're either going to be getting with the program of God, where God is speaking to you, talking to you, asking you to follow him, and you're saying yes, or you are a fault finder and you're lagging behind. There's no in-between. You're either a Pharisee or a follower. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Worth looking.